welcome to the Saluki Games Cast for Monday, March 21st, 2022. Man, that year just never sounds right, does it? <laughs> We're coming to you from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. My name is Justin Young, and I am joined here again by Alicia Utech, Ryan Frills, and OJ Duncan. How are you all doing? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? <laughs> All right. Well, now one person has asked. We don't need everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a pretty good week for me. Uh, been a very busy last week, and so this week seems like it will theoretically be a little bit less busy. And <laughs> what does maybe... that feel like? <laughs> it feels great. I got to tell you. Don't worry. I'm going to have an extremely busy week in about two more weeks or so. So um, I'm just enjoying it while it lasts and everything. Um, so, Alicia, how's your past week been? It has been busy. You know, trying to keep up with school, keep up with grading. Been very busy, but should be good moving forward. I just need to make it through the next two days, and then maybe things will settle down. Maybe? <laughs> it's always a possibility, right? <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> we can only hope. Um, I, we should note that you were actually very busy last Friday. You were speaking at the SIU Conference on Women as part of a panel along with me and two other speakers. Um, what do you think of that experience about talking about video games, specifically talking about women in video games? I thought it was really cool. You know, a lot of times, like I said on the podcast or on the panel, I haven't really had a strong community of fellow female gamers and so a lot of my girl gaming is often with my sister who is very into her specific things but is also into it with good communities which mm -hmm. I love for her and I'm so happy about that but I think also it's important to be able to talk about the problems with this and areas mm -hmm. where you know sometimes the industry and the games themselves aren't necessarily very friendly we'll say. And so it was really cool to be able to have that community. And, you know, one of the benefits of the conference being on Zoom, I think, was we were able to have the verbal conversation as well as a conversation going in chat with people who were attending the panel to be able to talk with them about different games as well and their experiences and have everyone chime in that way. So it was really cool. Thanks for putting that panel together, Justin. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said at the panel, uh, it was kind of weird for me as a man to do all the talking, so it was great to be able to bring three women in and get their experiences and their perspective on that. And uh, I think the audience seemed to really appreciate it. And that panel was actually recorded. We do have a recording as of this morning. I actually have the physical recording or the digital recording, but I have it on a physical flash drive. So we will be releasing that as a podcast, uh, as part of this podcast, uh, probably later this week sometime, whenever we have time to sit down and edit that and get it posted online. So Ryan, you also presented at that conference, but you were presenting on movies. Uh, yeah, so I was at a panel where we were presenting on like representations of women in horror movies and like talking about like feminism in horror films, and I specifically talked about... Um, the film Perfect Blue, which was directed by Satoshi Kon and from 1997, and it's about it's an anime film about a pop star who's trying to leave the uh, music industry and go into becoming an actress, but uh, 
as she is dealing with problems from executives, from people working within the television industry, and as she is dealing with problems with fans not being happy about that move, in particular one that's stalking her, she starts to question her understanding of reality and also her sense of self. Um, so I was just talking about how having that hostile environment of the entertainment industry, whether we're talking about the industry itself or the fans, created a space where she had a difficult time orienting to who she herself was as a person. Um, wow, that sounds really interesting because that's a film I haven't personally ever seen before. What were the other films that the other panelists were talking about? Um, let's see. Sorry to put you on the spot. Oh, no, you're fine. I'm just trying to, I can't, some of them were ones I hadn't seen yet, so I uh, can't quite remember what it, Caleb talked about us and uh, Candyman, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, Zoe talked about Carrie and Jennifer's body. I can't remember what exactly Alex talked about off the top. It was, it was one I had not heard of before, so I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Jennifer's body is usually a pretty popular one when talking about sort of a, a feminist take on horror and everything. So um, that one doesn't surprise me too much. Um, but, yeah, that sounds really neat and everything. Um, so, yeah, that's something that SAU puts on every year. Uh, it's a conference talking about women's issues and everything. So kind of neat. Um, OJ, what's your last week been like? Um, I was really busy, too. I, I was the only person here who wasn't on a panel for the women's conference, though. So, uh, But I had a lot of other stuff that was going on um, through other groups that I'm a part of. I wanted to be a part of the women's conference this uh, year, but um, I had a lot of stuff that was going on that stopped me from being a part of it. Um, but I, let's see, I don't even remember all the stuff I did last week. It was a blur. Uh, <laughs> it felt like Tuesday through Sunday, I was waking up at 6 a.m. and going until about 10 p.m., Oh wow! Uh, just and I—it's it, all my own fault. I put myself into way too many situations where I have stuff to do. Uh, I probably shouldn't be doing that, but uh, and then I don't remember what I was doing. I did have there were a couple of happy hours that were happening, so that was a a bright spot on last week, I guess. Yeah, that's always a, a good break in the middle of all the stress and everything. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep yourself awake six to ten? Are you a coffee drinker, energy drink? What do you do? Coffee, very, very much so. Uh, we recently bought an espresso machine, which I've never had before in my life, but I'm I'm really happy that we have it now because I needed it. Yeah, I would say so. If you're going that long, I would be uh, I'd be fading pretty quick by the end of the day. Um, well, let's jump right into the news, and we talked about issues facing women in games, and this first story sort of is about that, but just about, I think, toxic work environments in general. So uh, GamesBeat um, had this story that there was um, a big expose on Moon Studios. They are the developer of Ori in the Blind Forest and Ori in the Will of the Wisp. Um, they have been one of the early companies, even before COVID, to go all remote um, but they have a company chat program. I don't think it specifically states what the chat program was, though um, my impression was it was something Slack or Slack-like, if you're familiar with that software program. The uh, founders of the company through that program have been making lots of just bizarre comments. Um, I think very much trying to be... Um, the piece described it as trying to be very non-traditional, sort of like 
we're not going to play by the rules, um, you know, that they as a studio really had a sort of anti-woke stance. Um, and so apparently they made a joke um, during which they uh, joked about their plan to, quote, kill the Jews, unquote. Um, they used the term retarded in a derogatory fashion. Um, they made lots of last-minute changes that led to crunch for the developers, crunch being like working overtime to like get the game finished and everything last minute. Um, they referred to some of the developers as failed abortions. And those are the individuals as uh, referred to them individually as failed abortions and called their work shit. Uh, their word, not mine. <laughs> Um, and basically the idea was that they've been creating this horribly hostile, toxic work environment that's led to high turnover. Uh, that's one of the results of this. The other result is that Microsoft is no longer working with them. So Microsoft published the first two Ori games and had a very tight relationship. You know, those games have been extremely well received. Um, and it seemed very logical to assume that they would continue working with them. The fact that they aren't was kind of surprising, but in the wake of this expose, not really surprising at all. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we really have a whole lot to add to this, but I, I do think it's yet another story like this, right? It feels like every mm -hmm. week we get another story like this out of the game industry of you know, we talked on the women's panel specifically about some of the issues facing women in the industry, but it's a much bigger issue than just what we think of as the traditional sexual harassment stories that we hear. It's just a horrible work environment for all involved. Um, you know, making comments like about people with mental uh, disabilities and everything, you know, it feels like if their goal is an anti-woke stance, they're really going after potentially offending and turning off anyone who might potentially work for this company. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as great as those games are, you have to wonder how much of a, how much did this take out of that development team in the process of, of just dealing with this uh, on apparently a, a fairly regular basis. Yeah, I tried to read the expose and I had to stop reading halfway through because I was just seeing red. Like, this, it's utterly disgusting. And like you said, this one, you know, we've had the stories about sexism in the gaming industry. We all know that there's racism in it. And it seems like generally those stories, what we hear tends to be pretty limited in like, okay, this company is sexist and that's that. This company is racist and that's that. This one just seems like they're just checking all the boxes of terrible human <laughs> beings. Uh, it, it's insane. Like, you know, they I, what I did read, they talked about some of the developers stated that, you know, they were really trying to make sure that, oh, it's this environment where you don't have to be afraid to say anything anyone can say anything and then acknowledge like the two heads of the studio were the ones making if not all of these comments and the vast majority of them and right. taking that stance of oh you can say anything don't be afraid to say anything as this excuse to bully people and 
use these incredibly outdated and rude jokes, quotes, jokes. It just, it's awful. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to kind of understand that when somebody says, oh, we want this to be open where anybody can say anything, if you're calling a developer a failed abortion, particularly a junior developer, and this is coming from the founder of the company, their boss, they do not feel like they can say anything in mm-hmm. a situation like that, right? Like that's a, a disproportionate um, balance of power in that mm-hmm. situation. And somebody who is getting criticized in that way certainly does not feel like they can then openly speak back because they fear either more of that sort of verbal abuse or something more, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. does it get worse? So it silences them and it also silences everyone else that works with them because they don't want to be the next one that's called something like a failed abortion, right? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it would for me in a lot of situations like that. Particularly, again, if I was very much a junior level where I was afraid, you know, this is where I'm trying to make my name. This is where this is my first job in the industry. Um, you know, if I was older and felt like, oh, I can ditch this place and go find another job next week, maybe I'm less stressed. Mm-hmm. But considering they're working remotely, you have to think that a lot of these people it wasn't like they could go down the street to another developer in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, let's move on to slide to some happier news. Um, starting off with some bad news there. Um, the 2022 gaming awards have announced their nominees. This is the gaming G a Y gay mean awards. So these are, uh, awards for games that uh, feature LGBTQ characters or, um, you know, offer good representation or um, good inclusive efforts and everything as part of that. So I just wanted to read their Game of the Year nominees, which were uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, Life is Strange True, uh, True Colors, Psychonauts 2, and Unpacking. And then they also have an award for authentic representation. Um, and the nominees for that were Boyfriend Dungeon, Life is Strange, True Colors, Unpacking, and Unsighted. Um, and I don't know if any of you have any uh, experience with those particular games and you know why they might be particularly nominated and everything. Um, they have several other awards beyond this. They recognize like streamers and other people within the industry and everything. But, you know, I feel like this is going back several years, um, at least to the mid two thousands. I remember people trying to highlight, you know, gay representation within games and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and this seems like a pretty good list of these I've played, um, I've only played Psychonauts 2 and Unpacking on this list uh, right now, but those are both fantastic games. Um, and Unpacking is like one of the sweetest stories that you'll play in any game this year, so or this past year, 2021. So I don't know. Any thoughts on this list? So I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that this list came out. And last week I was like, oh, yeah, I queer up all the games I play and I haven't played any of these. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot about Life is Strange True Colors, and I think it's it's amazing. I It's on my list of games to play. 
Um, I looked at a trailer for Boyfriend Dungeon, and, like, dating your weapons seems like something that I've done throughout my life. So that seems like really <laughs> accurate representation for me. <laughs> um, and unpacking, I, I looked at it a little bit, and it looked kind of like Gone Home, um, where you there's a story through unpacking. I don't know if it's exactly like it, but that's what it looked like to me. And so I, I'm really interested in playing that because I really liked Gone Home. Yeah, I'll, I'll just talk about unpacking here real quick. Um, unpacking is a game where literally you're unpacking, and it's at different points throughout this character's life. So it's like them unpacking in their home as a little kid. Their parents get a new house, and then they're unpacking with their college dorm, and then their first apartment after college, and several other times throughout their life. And it's a really kind of interesting game because there's no cut scenes or anything but you're finding out about this character's life through the items in their life as you unpack them and everything so there are some items that they kind of keep with them their entire life which you know certainly i think probably we all have experienced those like cherished items Mm -hmm. but then there's other items that really kind of give you insight into who this character is and where they are in their life uh, buy the items that they, you know, that they own and everything. Um, and, and also the apartment or house that they're living in at that time and the items that are maybe already in that, that they're unpacking into. Um, it's just a really well done game, really chill, really relaxing. Um, it's just one of, it was one of my favorite. It was one of my top 10 games of last year. Um, you know, doesn't take that long, a few hours to play through, but like just a really fun experience and everything. And I think if you're the type that likes decorating a space, <laughs> if you're really into the Animal Crossing style thing, I think you'd really like it. But the story is really great and kind of sneaks up on you with how clever it is. I'll have to give it a look. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, kind of neat to see these games getting special recognition. Um, I've also heard a lot about Life is Strange True Colors. I've played the earlier Life is Strange games. I just haven't got to this one yet, but I've heard a lot of positivity about that game specifically. And I think this is the second year of the Gaming Awards. I think it started last year or the year mm-hmm. before. So I'm, okay. I'm really excited to see that happen as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of other positivity coming out of a a bad situation uh the humble bundle if you're familiar with them uh, they sell different bundles of games sometimes ebooks and different things Um, they have a new bundle called the stand with ukraine bundle it is forty dollars which is pretty expensive for one of their bundles they're usually more down around the 10 to 15 dollar range but this one all the proceeds go to um to help with uh, the refugees in Ukraine, and they have a wild assortment of games. So I just listed a few here, which were some of the highlights to me because I really wanted to highlight this bundle and everything. Back for Blood, Metro Exodus, Spiral Reignited Trilogy, Max Payne 3, Sunset Overdrive, Quantum Break, Fable Anniversary, This War of Mine, PGA Tour 2K21, the Long Dark, Kerbal Space Program, Skullgirls, Second Encore, Amnesia, Broken Age, and Super Hot. So um, a huge number of games. That's just a sampling. Uh, I think there's like 120 pieces of content as part of that bundle. 
So some games, but then there's also some eBooks and some other things in there as well. Um, RPG Maker, one of the RPG makers, I forget which version it is. So if you want to make your own games easily on your computer, um, all of those are Steam codes. But again, for $40, you know, just two or three of those games are easily worth $40 mm-hmm. alone. So mm-hmm. if you play PC games, that's an amazing deal. And um, let's see, let's move on. Stony, Sony had a state of play for Hogwarts Legacy. That is the new Harry Potter World Universe game uh, coming out this holiday. Um, it is a sort of open world adventure game set around uh, the Hogwarts school. So it's the school, but it's also Hogsmeade, the little town near the school and some of the surrounding countryside and everything. Um, looked incredibly impressive. There's about a 20-minute gameplay demo that they show as part of that. So if you're really interested in a new Harry Potter game, you can see that. The thing that I think is particularly interesting is... Um, there's been a lot of backlash to this uh, because of J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling has made multiple anti-trans uh, people comments um, in the last couple of years. Uh, I guess I should note this game was started development before she made those comments, mm-hmm. and the developers of the game have denounced her comments. Um, they have even made statements towards they want to make it where players could play trans characters within the game and everything as a sort of way to, I guess, you know, give J.K. Rowling the finger, um, you know, the only way that they know how and everything. Um, I kind of wonder how you feel about this, because to me this is a really interesting one. This isn't the developers doing anything wrong. This is the person who, um, you know, still has rights to this property, to the intellectual property and everything. Um, how do you feel about sort of activism response to a game in this situation? So what my take on it is, and as someone who does a a lot of uh, queer activism, um, the Harry Potter franchise has meant a lot to a lot of people, including a lot of trans people. I know multiple trans people who have a Deathly Hallows tattoo. I, I know a lot of people with a Deathly Hallows tattoo and multiple trans people, and it means a lot to their lives. Um, from what I understand, J.K. Rowling will not be getting anything from people buying and playing this. Um, but even if she does, something that a, a trans friend told me is that J.K. Rowling will never know if you buy this game or not. It doesn't matter at all to her. But the trans people who you know will be seeing that you're watching it. If you, if you absolutely have to buy it because you've been waiting for it for your entire life and Harry Potter means the world to you, then donate twice as much as you pay for the game to a cause that works with trans people. Mm-hmm. So there's um, places like Trans Lifeline. Um, there are multiple organizations that work and help trans people with legal issues, help them change their name, help them transition. So if you, if you absolutely have to play this game because it means so much to you, donate twice the amount that you paid for it to those organizations because people are going to actually experience help from that money that you give to, to organizations like Trans Lifeline, right? They're actually going to get something from it, um, whereas J.K. Rowling is not going to get anything. Um, and so I, I tend to agree with that standpoint. Um, and not all trans people feel the same, but that was just something that I heard from one trans person. I really like that because I've 
been kind of wrestling with us a lot, you know, with this game coming out that looks amazing and with the Secrets of Dumbledore movie coming out that looks less amazing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I grew up with Harry Potter and it is something very near and dear to my heart. And J.K. Rowling has really shown herself to not be a great person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I really like this idea and thank you for sharing it that, you know, if this is still something that we're contributing to, also taking that stance of here's what we're doing to actively combat, not her directly, because again, she's a billionaire. She'll never know what we do as individuals, but combating her attitudes in the lives of people who it will actually affect. Yeah. I think that's an amazing idea. Um, I, I have like, I'm not like a super big fan of J.K. Rowling or Harry Potter anyway, but like I, I feel a lot for the people that are going through this that were fans that grew up as trans fans. Um, and like I know what it's like to see like a creator of something you love and that means a lot to you turn out to not be such a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great way of that way. It's not like I think this is a good way of handling that because that way it's not like making J.K. Rowling being a terrible f- person take away something that was helpful and beneficial to other people. Because mm-hmm. I know there was articles by people like saying, hey, not only did I like Harry Potter, but it helped me as a trans person, and that's mm-hmm. why it's so disturbing right. to see J.K. Rowling become so transphobic. Um, so I think that's a good way of like contesting that space, making sure that she doesn't take that away from you with her transphobia, while also not just giving, you know, not just helping her out in the process and making sure you are helping a greater good in the end for trans folks. And I think it's it's really important to know just how much um, things like what J.K. Rowling says and does against trans people matters. Um, uh, last week ago, a black trans woman friend of mine went missing, um, and they found her body last at the end of last week. Um, and uh, we don't know exactly what happened with that, but attitudes like J.K. Rowling's are the things that fuel incidents like that happening um so it's it it's not just something that you say and doesn't mean anything it has actual results that actual people feel yeah i I think that's a really important point that this isn't just oh you have an opinion i disagree with or you have an opinion where i don't want to associate with you there are real life outcomes to this right um right i i feel like and and um, OJ, I, I think you know better than I do. I feel like the trans movement is very much in a position right now that I feel like the the gay movement was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and certainly we saw um, we saw the outcome of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of the Laramie Project and, and things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think for a lot of people, this is... Um, and Ryan, I, I think you touched on this. This is a, a really complicated relationship they have with mm-hmm. this right now, because Harry Potter is so instrumental in a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my favorite jokes online was, "It if you took away the Harry Potter books, what would millennials talk about?" <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's you know, so many people I know, this is like their way of relating to the world, of talking about the world, you know, using Voldemort for a stand-in for um, Trump or whatever the villain of the week in their mind is and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at it, and 
you know, and I think it is like a lot of those sorts of stories, a lot of those stories of the sort of underdog overcoming this great power, it appeals to people who have traditionally felt marginalized in their lives. Right. And, you know, so growing up with that first with the books and then the movies and then the expanded universe as it's come about through Pottermore and all this other stuff to now have that feel like it's been taken away. And, you know, I feel like, um, I, I like the books. I read the books. Uh, I like the movies. I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic, but like I very much enjoyed them all. Um, but you know, I was a really big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's a show I feel sort of icky going back and watching now, uh, mm-hmm. particularly knowing what was going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. and what was right. happening to some of the cast and crew. Um, I still think it's a brilliant show, but you know, uh, Joss Whedon, I find completely repulsive mm-hmm. and I, I feel similar about rallying at this point. And, you know, with her, I feel even, it's even a weirder feeling because you just feel like you just need to shut up. Can you not just shut up? Right. Right. Like if you made the first comment, people would have gone kind of probably forgave you and everything. If you had just like walked it back and and went on Mm -hmm. and, you know, I guess she just feels very strongly about this and it feels very odd. And I think it, tarnishes everything related to Harry Potter for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think OJ's idea of, you know, donating double whatever, if you buy the game, you know, if you pay 60 bucks for it, donate $120 to a organization that supports trans people. Mm-hmm. Certainly they need it right now with some of the laws like in Texas and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they need all the support they can get. Um, let's see. I don't know if any of you are Fortnite players. No. <laughs> no. There's my answer. Uh, Fortnite Chapter 3 Season 2 is launching with no building. Um, and that will last for a little over a week, I believe. Um, so, you know, part of what set Fortnite apart originally was that it was a Battle Royale game where you could also build structures and everything as you played. Um, and I feel like this is almost them admitting like, oh, nobody really cares about the building. Or maybe they do. I don't know. That's just my perception from the outside <laughs> looking in. Um, that game has, I guess, evolved beyond the building as being the gimmick for it. So it's gotten to be something more. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Five, the game that originally came out on the PlayStation 3, is now launching on the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series S and X. On the PlayStation 5, it will be a $10 purchase uh, through, I believe it's June 20th. Um, On the Xbox Series S and X, it is a $20 purchase through then. And then conceivably, it'll go up to a higher price after that point. I don't know if a full $60, but probably somewhere around $40 at least. Um, have, Have any of you played through Grand Theft Auto 5? No, I have not. Yeah, that's not my genre. <laughs> I've watched it be played through, but I haven't played through myself. It, it's a really great game, but it, there are definitely some uncomfortable parts in that game where it, things it forces. There's a torture scene in particular that it forces mm-hmm. the player into that I know a lot of people um, that really turn them off from the game. Like they quit mm-hmm. right soon after that. But all of this is really about getting people to play Grand Theft Auto online. Mm-hmm. 
that's the big money maker. So that's the reason they're launching these at such a low price. Um, fun fact, though, the first time I played any Grand Theft Auto game, it was at my church when I was a teenager at a church lock-in. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the church let you play Grand Theft Auto? Oh, yeah. The pastor was even fine. It, I actually had like a, went to a pretty liberal church when I was a kid. So was, they're like, sure. <laughs> like They were like LGBTQ friendly. At least the pastor was. And like. I got, I got played that. I got to watch somebody play Resident Evil 4. It was a fun night. <laughs> Those are games I never thought I'd hear somebody say they played inside a church. So. <laughs> um, PlayStation is buying Haven Studios. Um, Haven Studios is headed by Jade Raymond, who is probably best known for the Assassin's Creed series. She worked on the original, and I think, think maybe the two immediate sequels after that. Um, she Jade Raymond's one of these developers who's been bouncing around, it feels like, the last few years. She went to Google and was working on games for Stadia, their streaming uh, service, and then Stadia kind of all fell apart, <laughs> and she left there, founded this new studio, and is um, you know now working as part of PlayStation. Um I think that's kind of interesting. Jade Raymond is one of the like very recognizable names for women in gaming um, as on the development side. Um, I'm not going to say she's one of the best developers. I think that's a matter of opinion, but she's certainly one of the most recognizable names in the industry. Um, and they also announced today that there is a new Witcher game in development using Unreal Engine 5, which is the very latest new tech um, that they have for the Unreal Engine. It is what is powering that um, sort of short demo game of the Matrix that you can download onto PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Um, you know, very kind of cutting-edge graphics and everything, and hearing that's going into a new Witcher game is pretty exciting if you've played the Witcher games. I have not played the Witcher games, but I have them in my list because of the Netflix show with Henry Cavill. I'm a huge Henry Cavill fan. Uh, so I will be playing the Witcher games next break that we have. I have them all queued up and ready to go. I might start with Witcher 3 and, and okay. then see going backwards. The other two okay. are um, they're more archaic in their design, I guess mm-hmm. maybe a kind way to say yeah. it. <laughs> Uh, Witcher 3 feels very much a modern sort of role-playing game um, and much more accessible because of that. All right, good to know. Um, All right, that does it for news. So let's talk about what you've been playing. Alicia, I'm assuming some Pokemon Legends. I'm still mostly playing Pokemon Legends Arceus, yeah. Um, Finally got Umbreon and Crobat, so getting some of those friendship evolutions now, but... We finally made it past, I feel like, the fir- the whole tutorial stage. We beat Cleavor, who's the first noble Pokemon that you deal with in the game. So I'm hopeful that now the story will kind of get moving more rather than thinking it's moving and then suddenly you're in another tutorial. <laughs> right. How, how are you finding that sort of open-world approach to Pokemon? Because the last game, which was Sword and Shield... Is that right? The last mainline Pokemon game had little sections that were kind of more open world. But my understanding of Pokemon Legends, and I haven't played it yet, is is a fully sort of open world where you can see the Pokemon out in the world and everything. 
avoid them or, you know, interact with them. Um, how is that shift working out for you? Do you, do you like it or is it frustrating or? I do like it actually. I think it's really nice. And we had this in sword and shield as well, but where you can kind of see what Pokemon are out there so you can avoid the encounters that you don't want to have. Or like if you see an alpha Pokemon and you're like, that's level 40, I'm level 18. Let's not. (laughs) (laughs) But I think also it's nice because they have, not only do they have systems where you can like drop flags and pin different spots. So say you know that Eevee spawns in one spot. So you drop a pin there and you come back and look for it every day when the spawns reset. But also having the ability to pick up so many different missions and requests from various NPCs that you're able to complete. You know, on the one hand... The mainline Pokemon games tend to be very linear. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to Gym 1, then you go to Gym 2, then Gym 3, so on and so forth. And there still is definitely a linear aspect to this game, but I also like that you're able to do more kind of open-world exploration missions with, okay, show this NPC a completed Pokedex page for this Pokemon, and, okay, bring this guy a springy mushroom, and <laughs> all these little kinds of things that get you to explore the world and really feel the open-world aspect of it, rather than, okay, here's this town, and then I'm going to go on this route, and that's going to have right. some open world, and then we're back in town. It really, it is a very expansive game, and I'm really enjoying that. I was going to pass on this one. You're you're making it, you're selling this one for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the dropping the pin and the flags and everything, that sounds very sort of Zelda Breath of the Wild to me, like, mm-hmm. right? That you have to sort of map out this world. It's not telling you on the map by default, hey, this is where this Pokemon spawns, but like you're having to sort of chart it out and build your own map and everything. Um yeah, it's yeah. great for me who has no visual sense of or any sense of direction. And so <laughs> you drop the pin and then you go back to camp to heal your Pokemon or whatever. And then you're like, now how do I get back there? Right. <laughs> okay, wait, there's the flag. It tells me, you know, how many steps I have to take to get to it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really, um, I think that game is more open world than I realized it was going to be. I I was kind of expecting it to be more like Sword and Shield with maybe some open-world elements into it. But it it really does sound like their kind of attempt to do a Breath of the Wild with Pokemon. Um, You know, not quite an Elden Ring with Pokemon. Like, that's the the long-term Next step. (laughs) Scarlet and Violet, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be really interested to see what those games actually look like. Um, You know, how much open-world they are and everything. Um, Anything else that you're playing? That's the big one for me right now. I did download, I think it's Chocobo GP Lite. It's the free version of the Square Enix Chocobo racing game. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, though. So hopefully this weekend. Yeah. Hopefully I'll come back next week and have positive feelings. Fingers (laughs) crossed. Sounds like an energy drink. (laughs) Chocobo GP Lite. I'm like a Chocobo. (laughs) (laughs) I need a light one, though. (laughs) I need need a Chocobo GP heavy to get me through this week. (laughs) Gives you wings. Quick. It, it literally does. That makes sense for a chocobo, right? Um, yeah, so th- that's a kart racer, right? Like for, I mean, it's sort of in the style of Mario Kart. 
Yeah, I think so. Like I said, I really, I've been seeing a lot of like the static ads for it on Facebook, so I haven't watched any gameplay or anything, but I was like, hey, this version is free. Mm-hmm. I should download it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that game looks, um, I mean, kart racers are always interest me, so mm-hmm. that one looks pretty neat and interesting. Um, Ryan, how about you? What have you been playing this week? So I didn't get to game this much this week, but to Today, actually, I started on a game that I've been meaning to get to for a while called Disco Elysium. Oh, um, yeah. It, I think I'm going to love this one already. I just started it. But, uh, so basically, though, you're like a detective with amnesia in this game. Um, and I just, right now, all I know is there's like a murder I'm supposed to solve. I don't know much beyond that. But, like, uh, you have like a really complex, like, skill and stat system, and the way, like, uh, a reviewer I listened to, Super Eye Patch Wolf, described it is, it's like, you just have this one character, but the party is, like, in its head. It's like, he has a different sets of, different varying sets of attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, those affect, like, how your conversations go and everything in the game. Um, and, uh, like, it, I'm also interested in it because, like, some of the movie referencing that goes on in it, like, I... I already know, like, it references David Lynch's stuff. Like, one of the guy's powers, he's even called Inland Empire, which is the name of a David Lynch movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I already saw, like, a reference to The Shining and, like, the hotel he's in. Like, like some of the patterns on the wallpaper and stuff. Um, but, like, I just, I really love that complicated stat system, like, where, like, it's such a complicated stat system, it's like having the party in your head. And then, like, seeing the complexities of, like, the internal conversations he has while also trying to engage with, like, the different people in the game. Um, I love, like, how you can interact with all the different things going on on the screen, so there's kind of that point-and-click aspect to it. Uh, and so, so it's also kind of reminding me of AI of the Somnium Files, because there, like, there's that point-and-click detective work going on. Um, but also, like, just the, scr- just the visuals look like a beautiful painting, like, wherever environment you're walking in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just I'm gonna have a blast with this one, so I'm I'm happy to be started on it. Disco Elysium, awesome game so far, and I'm, I've just started. And is this super highly detailed world right? It's like basically one city block makes up the game world, and it's all like super highly detailed, right? Yeah, so far that's what it seems like. Um, and it just like just like even like one space you're in, like all the detail that goes into like a room you're in. Um, just like how it looks like a really complicated, intricate painting mm-hmm. um, that you're walking around in. It, it's just like a very, like, I don't know if it's going to be, it, I'm sure it's not going to be like the biggest game world, but it's a dense one. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I, that was my impression. Instead of scale, they went for density into the world and everything. So, uh, yeah, I've heard nothing but raves about that game from people who've gone into it. It's one of those games that I fear... It, it'll just suck up all my time the moment I get into it. it. So It's got a lot of replayability, too, and you can already tell because, you know, whatever, whenever time you play it, you have multiple decisions you can possibly make. And then at the same time, it gave you three different possible, like, stat structures to go with, like one for being more of an intellectual, one for being more empathetic, one for being more, um, like, physical, like, confrontational. And then it's like, also, oh, or just make your own stat system. Like, I'm like, okay, so lots of replayability here, depending on just trying to do this in various different ways. And you could probably replay one of those multiple times. And, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm looking forward to this. Great. Sounds awesome. Um, we'll, we'll have to hear back from you soon so we can. Also, the narration and voice acting, amazing. So 
Yeah, and the voice acting was added later to the game. Like, the original release didn't have full voice acting. It had it in parts, is my understanding. And then they came back and added full voice acting to everything. Right, I downloaded a version called The Final Cut, I mm-hmm. think. So that's... All right, great. Um, OJ, what have you been playing this week? Uh, so I gave up sleep to play two games this week. Uh, <laughs> Trooper. <laughs> um, yeah, the first game is Chaos Simulator, otherwise known as Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise. Uh, which So I played the demo and talked about that last week, and then the full game was, was released um, today, or not today, this week. Um, so I, I've been playing through it. I'm, I'm enjoying it more than I did initially, but I'm still mad that, one, it's not an open world, uh, which they never promised to make it open world. I just wish that it were open world. Um, and two is that the storyline kind of, it's similar, but it pulled away from the original. Um, so I kind of wish they'd kept that too. But again, they never promised that. The original Final Fantasy yeah. is what you're talking about. Yeah, so Final Fantasy one, And so it's the same map um, and some of the same levels. It's the same fiends, um, but there's other stuff in it. Um, let's see. There's a secret, and I don't know if it's a secret or not, but I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to ruin it for anyone who wants to play it. But there's there's multiple levels to the story within it that weren't there before for Final Fantasy One, um, so I've really been enjoying that and seeing that play out within it. Um, but still, I'm I'm just angry that it's not for for characters. Although that also plays into the storyline. So, so they do explain it within the context of the story. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and I'm not all the way through it yet, but I'm far enough to know that they're going to explain it, I think. How are you feeling about the interaction of the main characters? Because I've watched a few clips of this <laughs> game, and the main characters just come off like the the broiest, dumb <laughs> bros in the world. Um, I mean, it, it to the point that it... it it, it's it's farcical. Like it, mm-hmm. it seems like they're just going so far over the top. It doesn't even fe- seem like a failed attempt to have cool bro guys. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're like, look, we're going to make these the most obnoxious human beings you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just clips I'm seeing or if that f- if it continues and feels that way as you're playing. So it <laughs> the the clips are pointing out very specific instances, but like the main character Jack doesn't care about anything except for finding chaos. And it's like chaos, 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 um, just over and over again. I'm sure you've all probably seen memes that just say chaos with a picture of uh, <laughs> Jack on them. Um, so he, he has one goal, and that's all he cares about. And anyone else talks or says anything, he's like, shut up, and walks off. Um, <laughs> so I, while I appreciate that, because some of the characters are a little annoying, but, yeah, it's just the, the, the characters don't have a, like, they have a backstory, but they don't have memories of knowing each other or having a backstory. And so it's just really weird seeing them talk, like, and, and work with each other. All right, and the uh, other game you play. So the other game I'm playing, I'm really, really enjoying. Um, it came out, I think, last year, uh, but it's called Pixel Ripped 1995, hmm. um, and it's on hmm. the Oculus Rift. And so the the game is, so it's set in 1995, and as the main character, you're a woman in, like, a pixel world um, who's kind of like Samus. Right. And then somebody in the pixel world that she's in steals like this cube um, that controls things and is going into like the real world um, and causing problems there. So you go into the mind of an 11 year old boy and as you're playing it, 
you're sitting there playing, like it's a virtual reality game, but you're sitting there with a controller in your hand playing on a television screen while other things are happening um, in the game that you have to deal with, like in virtual reality. So like in the first level, you're you're playing her through like a uh, level that's kind of like Legend of Zelda. It's it's eight bit, right? And then um, your mother is trying to get you to get off of the like the playing the video game. So you get a a gun in the game, which also gives it to you in the virtual reality real life. That's like a parent um, distraction gun. And you have to grab the gun when she starts yelling at you and like shoot the like you shoot the cookie jar over and she's like, Why did that fall over? And she goes to pick up the cookies. Um, <laughs> and like you shoot like the radio and it starts making static and she has to go deal with it. And so, so it gives you more time to finish the game. Yeah. The uh, game within the game. Yes. This sounds uh, delightfully bizarre. Yeah. And then like in the second level, there's there's another level because you go to a video rental store and there's two video game consoles that are set up where you can play and you have to go back and forth between them while also dealing with the people that are like, uh, like in the world, the VR world around with you. It's just, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's very difficult for some people because there are so many distractions in the game that they can't deal with it from what I can, uh, from what I found, but I really enjoy it because in the first level it's eight bit and then the second level, you go into like a 16-bit, and third level, it's 32-bit, um, and starts getting 3D. So it's really, it's really interesting going through the levels because it was like Legend of Zelda, and then Metroid and Castlevania games. Like so, Metroid, it's a Metroidvania because you're playing a Metroid game and a Castlevania game at the same time. That's that sounds cool. really clever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it really, really is. Um, yeah. So when when you're talking about being potentially distracting for some people that's really interesting because um yeah like somebody who has you know add mm -hmm. attention deficit disorder yeah. like would they be able to play that game because mm -hmm. here's a game that's intentionally trying to distract you while you're mm -hmm. playing and you're playing on like basically two levels mm -hmm. the game on the tv and then also the you know the virtual world that you mm -hmm. exist in and the fact that it's creating these distractions um, around trying to distract you from the game sounds almost like a weird ADD simulator. Yeah, actually. And somebody I know with ADHD uh, said that they couldn't play it because of that, because it was just, it was too much for them. It was. And that's interesting to me. I mean, I think that shows how like different an experience, you know, one ADHD person can have mm -hmm. from another, because I have ADHD and I'm hearing that I'm like, that sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like, um, that sounds like a really interesting thing to do with virtual mm -hmm. reality, right? Like yeah. it, it, it's going that extra step and saying, here's something uh, or an experience we can create that you simply cannot get any other way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus a lot of virtual reality games that are basically glorified, you know, shooting galleries and mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. So, yeah, that sounds really interesting. What was the name of that game again? It's called uh, Pixel Ripped 1995. All right. Well, I will uh, have to check that one out. Um, this week, I finally got into Elden Ring. Mm -hmm. um, I finally <laughs> tried Elden Ring. I found, uh, I found a really good deal on it, so that's my excuse. <laughs> but uh, did you download the $3 app to keep track of everything? <laughs> I have not actually <laughs> downloaded the $3 app. Um, I'm sort of... I sort of have a bit of OJ in me in that I don't 
just the on principle, you know, I can pay for this $3 app, but like, I bet I could use notes on my phone to accomplish the same thing. Um, not as well probably, but that's my justification at least right now. Um, yeah, Elden Ring is pretty much everything that you've heard Elden Ring is. It is a Souls uh, game, uh, but in an open world environment, it is, you know, I, I, I don't want to repeat everything that I think people, you know, anybody interested in games has probably already heard about this. Um, the design of the monsters is really interesting. Um there's a huge variety of the monsters too that as I feel like every few feet that you're walking, you're bumping into something new and that's part of the experience. So, you know, it's the story game. I think the more you go in blind, the more enjoyment that you'll get out of it for that reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the first time you turn a corner and there's this, Again, I don't want to say, but like, <laughs> you know, there's this new monster and some of them with with a huge amount of scale, you're just like, what in the world? What is this game? And, you know, it's not, um, you know, it, it's not the standard progression of cannon fodder enemies mm. that I feel like mm-hmm. you get used to in a lot of games. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll say kind of more broadly about the game is that, it really feels like a game out of time. It feels like if somebody went back to the late 80s, early 90s, and took a computer role-playing game of that era um, and dropped it into the modern world with all the trappings of modern graphics and technology, that's how it feels to play the game. It doesn't feel... You know, I think when people talk about the difficulty of the game, that's what they're talking about a lot, Mm -hmm. is that it's not made to be super accessible on first, um, you know, on first launch. That being said, I don't think it's an unapproachable game. I don't think it's something that people can't pick up and play. And I know I was reading some statistics that the first boss in the game, like 70% of people on Steam had beat the first boss that's pretty impressive. It means that people aren't just completely bouncing off of the game because that first boss is a challenge and you have to like do some legwork in order to beat them. And, you know, but that experience of like being dropped into this world and there's no guide, there's no explanation for, you know, you need to go here. There's no, uh, Alicia, like you were talking about, there's no, there's no flag telling you, Hey, you're this far from this and everything, right? There's, so little hand-holding in the game. Um, And I think that's a unique experience. I think that's what is appealing to a lot of people when they're picking up and playing it because it feels like they're being dropped into this fantasy world that they've never seen, never experienced before, and they really have no idea what's coming next. And a lot of modern video games really telegraph what you're going to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes even as far as hey, here are the five bosses that you're going to beat throughout the rest of this game, and you can find this boss here and this boss there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, it, it's very much kind of channeling that same energy that Zelda Breath of the Wild had. 
um, where, you know, you just kind of walked out of that after waking up, you walk out into the overworld and it is literally everything accessible to you. And you really have no idea, and it's not a traditional Zelda game where it sort of directs you. Even you know, even if you go back and you play Ocarina of Time, it's very clearly directing you where to go next. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that's a fantastic game, but it is not an open world game in the sense that Breath of the Wild is or Elden Ring is, right? Um, it's a great experience, and I'm just a few hours into it, so I, I can't talk about the total experience yet. But, um, you know, it, it's everything it's been hyped up to be mm-hmm. um, so far. Um, but, again, it is a little challenging to get into, so I could see somebody who's not as used to playing games being a little frustrated early on. <laughs> um, so, you know, take that for, take that as a warning <laughs> for what you will. Uh, the other game that I played a little bit of is a game called Young Souls. Uh, this is on uh, Xbox Game Pass, so that is where I am playing it. I'm actually playing it on the PC via Xbox Game Pass. Um, and this is sort of a, a side-scrolling beat-em-up in the style of, say, uh, the Ninja Turtles arcade game, except it's the sort of fantasy world that exists underneath your house. <laughs> And you go down into this fantasy world and there's this branching world underneath it and everything. And you are a brother and sister and you can switch back and forth between them and your your weapons and everything. Like you're putting a pot on your head for a helmet and everything. So it's got this really (laughs) kind of cute art style. Um, Everything is super overly animated. Um, It very much resembles like a, a show on Cartoon Network. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. something like um, I'm trying to think of an example. Like what was that show? Ed, Ed and Eddie. Yeah. 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 Like it, it kind of has that sort of look to it and everything, um, you know, where it, it is almost like a cutout 2d animated look to it. Um, and so, I mean, it looks really great. Um, it's fun so far. Um it's not an amazing game, but it's just a really fun game so far. Um, and there is apparently local co-op in it. So if you did have somebody else that you could tackle it with and everything, um, you can play a two-player like that. Um, so, yeah, a, a neat game worth checking out just graphically. I think it really, um, you know, sh- really shines and is really something worth looking at. Um, all right, and to end, um, last week we talked about all the new movies and TV shows that are coming out based on uh, video games. And so this week I thought we would talk about what game franchise or maybe even just a single game would you most like to see get made into a movie or television series? Uh, Ryan, I feel like you always end up in the middle, so we'll <laughs> start with you this time. Okay, so I got a couple answers here, more like three. <laughs> okay, but just depending on what we let. So if I'm doing like a straight up, just like a TV show adaptation of something, I'd pick Mega Man Legends just because, and I love those games so much. They ended the second one on a cliffhanger, and I don't even know how long ago that's been. That was like 2000 or something, so I've been gone like 20 years now without knowing what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, I think it would just it's a, it was just a really beautiful, fun world to explore in those games. Um, so I'd be happy to see it do an adaptation that with like some new, really good voice actors. I'm sure some people like the older ones brought back, but I have no idea what's going on with any of those folks anymore. And there was one voice actor who turned out to be an awful person. So I'm, yeah, just want to go ahead and recast. Well, that um, fits today's theme for yeah. the show. Um, <laughs> Alicia, you were nodding along with that, so you approve that answer? I do. Anything Mega Man is close to my heart, so 10 out of 10 would support that, would get on board with that Patreon Kickstarter, <laughs> whatever we need to do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, for the other second answer, if I could just do a movie adaptation of a character, I kind of want to make a movie about Waluigi. <laughs> um, it could be kind of like the Joker movie that came out, but instead it's about Waluigi. Like, like I mean, like... Could it be when he doesn't get into Smash, like what he's doing while everyone else is off in the Smash tournaments? Oh, I oh, actually, be... actually really like that. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis could be Waluigi. <laughs> and, like, you could, like, see him, like... Do kind of like a Groucho Marx painting of the mustache, but you just like see him in the mirror, like painting it like all crooked. And, like there's tense music in the background, and um, so yeah, I want to make a Waluigi movie. That's like a super serious, like Oscar bait <laughs> movie about a traumatized man, um, played by Daniel Day Lewis. And my third answer is just kind of a dream thing I've been working. It's not so much a based on actually in the actual particular game, but you know how there used to be like that. Captain N, the Game Master cartoon. Mm. Yes. Um, I would love to do, like, a modern update of that, like, that something, like, that's more in the spirit, like, in how it's stylistically done in the spirit of something like Steven Universe, um, where you do, you know, it's, like, updated with, like, newer, more, like, contemporary animation. Um, you have a lot of, you know, it's done to, not just to, like, make a buck, but to be a love letter to old video games and stuff, and where, uh, you know, you update it all, like, a la like Steven Universe or Owl House or other animated shows out there, you make sure there's plenty of queer representation in it. Mm. So that's so first answer, straight up adaptation, Mega Man Legends, second answer, weird movie dream project, Waluigi. <laughs> Third answer, just big dream love letter to video games. Uh I updated Captain in the Game Master. Sorry, that was a really long response. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. And I, I am fully on board with Daniel Day-Lewis as Waluigi. <laughs> that sounds like dream casting to me. Um, and I like Alicia's idea that it, it's about his downfall at, <laughs> because he's left out Smash Brothers, like how he turns evil. Um, maybe he was originally like, you know, not so evil, but like he was getting... misunderstood. Right, I'm a brilliant tennis player. I'm a brilliant kart racer. Why don't they want me? And and Danny DeVito needs to be Wario. Yes, let start that Patreon, Ryan. I will donate to it. We can actually have Luigi be the villain, and while Luigi is good, he just gets portrayed bad. There we go. Yeah, th there you go. Because he's actually Luigi's the bully. Yeah, right? <laughs> like he's bullying Wall Luigi. Wall Luigi is actually sort of like the the shy introvert. He writes poetry, <laughs> and uh, and Daisy won't speak to him. And Luigi's God. always bullying him and everything. Brian Cranston is Luigi. <laughs> He can be evil and mean and angry. I feel like Brian Cranston's like a better Mario. Oh yeah, that's true. True. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who becomes Waluigi then. Uh, I mean Luigi. Um, yeah, Danny DeVito is really good casting for Wario there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, Get John Leguizamo to come back and be Luigi again as a funny <laughs> nod to... Actually, yes. Go. I'm totally for that. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. That's actually... That's good casting, John Leguizamo. <laughs> he was never a bad choice for Luigi. No. The problems ba- with that movie were not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo, are you listening to us? You should hire us for casting directors of this movie mm-hmm. and script writers and... <laughs> I mean, Nintendo would never make a movie that interesting, uh, <laughs> but that is, that is the interesting take on and the Mario universe. I already know how I want to end. I just want to know it. Have like a slow close-up shot coming on Waluigi's nervous face while the song "Time" by Pink Floyd starts playing, and then as soon as it gets to the part where they sing and start the guitars, that's when it cuts to credits. And <laughs> Uh, okay um ryan you sound ready to make this happen i am (laughs) yeah when he says this is like his dream project and everything like i feel like he's been working on this a lot (laughs) more than i care to admit (laughs) it's beautiful don't ever change it um oj i hate to make you try to follow that up but um how about you what game would you most like to see turned into a film or tv show uh, so I was talking about coming back to this game after a long time before, but EverQuest. Uh, so there's a lot of like lore and story in the game, um, but you don't always catch it as you're playing through because like you could be in a raid um, and fighting something, and then you're paying attention to the gameplay and missing what's being said in the middle of the raid, right? Or if you're going through, and if you're not a certain class, you don't get certain quest lines, right? Or if you're not a certain race. So I think having, and it would have to be a pretty big series, I think, with different, um, like, seasons of it could be different, like, expansions. Um, so, like, in the original, there's a big overarching storyline where there's uh, Negafin and Lady Vox, and uh, Negafin is a fire, like a red dragon. Lady Vox is a blue ice dragon, um, and they're both kind of in their own, like, caves in different areas of the world. And you're like, wait, how did these dragons get into the caves? Well, they explain it in the next, or two expansions later, is that they they mated, and it was against, like, dragon law. And so they got pushed into these areas that they couldn't escape from because if a fire dragon and an ice dragon mates, then they make, like, um, it's called the Sleeper in the third expansion. And it's, like, this super extra powerful dragon that they're scared of. Um, and he's sleeping. And then throughout that expansion you work on waking him and then once somebody wakes him it changes the entire game for everybody right so there's sleeper's tomb but once he gets awoke he kills everybody and then you have to follow him through a bunch of different zones to get the storyline that's happening but it can only happen once per server so if you're not there like to watch it happen you miss it and it can't happen again on that server so i'd love to see a lot of that put together in a series so that you could watch everything happening mm. without having to worry about like dying or the gameplay getting in the way. Yeah. I feel like MMOs used to do that sort mm. of like one and done ca- cataclysmic events mm-hmm. and everything that you just don't see in MMOs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand why, because there were a lot of players who would get frustrated that they missed out on this, you know, one time event. But to me, that was always kind of the promise of mm-hmm. MMOs, right? Yep. That like this event would happen and if you were there or not, it still happened mm-hmm. and the world would be different because of it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I think recounting that through a series makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Alicia, how about you? Okay, so I also have two answers 
So if we're looking at a TV show, I would really like to see Secret of Mana. Mm -hmm. It's a JRPG mm -hmm. game, if anyone's unfamiliar, from the 90s. It, I think, would be better as just like a one-season show rather than a movie. Because I was trying to think of how they could make it a movie. I'm like, you know, you're traveling to different palaces to collect the different mana seeds. And I don't know that you would be able to cramp. You know, there's eight different palaces you have to go to, plus all the other stuff. I was like, this would be better as a one season show. Mm -hmm. But in terms of movie, I have got to go back to my childhood here and say Sly Cooper. Those <laughs> games, I adore them. They're probably some of the first games that I beat and like I would constantly go and restart them just because I enjoyed the early levels so much. And you know, with that, I'm like it's not a super long game, especially the first one, and they could easily combine the locations of a couple of the fiendish five if they needed to shorten it for time i think it's got great relationships between all the characters every character feels like a unique individual which is awesome also points to it for being one of the best games i think in terms of you know even though it's anthropomorphic animals in the game like you have a character who at the end of the second game loses the use of his legs and so in the third game, and when the fourth game came out as well, that character is now in a wheelchair. And they deal with it in a way that treats it with the emotional weight that it carries, as well as this character is still able to do things with the gang, but it's never like to the point of, are we sure this character is still disabled? Like, he's still in his wheelchair the whole time. And I just, I think that's amazing. I don't think that's something we see enough in any media whether it be movies, TV shows, video games, whatever. And also the games are really just a lot of series of heists that you pull off. So I think that there's a lot of potential fun for that with a movie. Again, the sequel games, the second game is generally regarded as the best one. And so it sets up for, cause everybody has to have trilogies nowadays. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who doesn't like a heist movie? Mm -hmm. And a heist movie with cute critters, um, <laughs> you know, the Thievius Raccoonus. Yes. Um, <laughs> subtitle of the first game. Um, kind of makes me think of uh, the film Over the Hedge. From, oh, yeah. Um, the early 2000s, somewhere in there. Two th well, it was like 2006 or something like that. Yeah. Um, that has a, a sort of like heist movie with the, you know, neighborhood animals and everything. So, you know, and that's a... <laughs> That's a movie I really like um, as an animated movie. I feel like it's it sort of been forgotten over the years, but like I really like that movie quite a bit. And so I can see that as a template to make a, a Sly Cooper movie and make it actually work and everything. Yeah, well, and we were supposed to get one in 2016, but then the Ratchet and Clank movie did really badly, and so yeah. they completely ditched plans. And then in, I think, 2017, they said they were going to do a TV show. <laughs> Haven't seen anything of that. So I'm like, come on, guys. You gave me the trailer in 2016. Just finish it. Redesign Murray and finish it. <laughs> it kind of makes me also think of Wes Anderson's, like, the fantastic Mr. Fox. Was that what it's called? Right, yeah. Like, because, I mean, that's about a fox that's, like, going on a big heist to steal, like, chickens from chicken coops and stuff, so. <laughs> I love it. Or even Chicken Run. There's a lot of animal heist yeah. movies, you know, or in that case, an escape movie, uh, I suppose, so, yeah. I'd be happy to see Wes Anderson, Artem Animations, or, like, any, and, like, that just sounds like a really good idea for a movie. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch that one, a Sly Cooper movie. 
Yeah, those are really good games. They're you know they don't ever get the attention that um, the Ratchet and Clank and uh, even Jack and Daxter series get. Uh, but those uh, Sly Cooper games are really quite a bit of fun. And you know, I've they, never played them. I'm gonna have to pick them up. Same high key recommend. They, also, if you can, because I know that they did a re-release on the PS3, but they also. With that, remastering some of the music got kind of off, which, especially in the first game, one of the boss battles is tied to the music. So get the game and play it, but also, especially for the first one, I would go back and watch the... I think her name is Ms. Voodoo. I would I would definitely go watch her levels on a walkthrough of the PS2 version because the music syncing up to that is really important, and apparently the PS3 re-release just kind of botches yeah. that. Yeah, I, I don't know if they ported that re-release to the PlayStation 4 or not. I, I remember them re-releasing it, but I can't remember if that got ported to the PlayStation 4. It um, might have been PS4 rather than PS3. I might be mixing that up. I, I think you might be right that it was originally PS3, but some of those I feel like they re-released onto PS4 at some point. So, um, But yeah, very good games. Um, hearty recommendation for those. Uh, for me, I, I think my ideal dream of adapting a video game into something would be a series uh, based on Final Fantasy VI. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that game's just so weird and so many side stories. Like It's the sort of thing where you can easily go down a path for a few episodes exploring one of those little side stories in the game. Um, I mean, just the Phantom Train alone, Like you can see that being multiple episodes mm-hmm. dealing mm-hmm. with all of that. Um, you know, that's a, a mini season arc, I suppose. So uh, I could see that game taking several seasons. And of course the transition to the world of ruin would be quite a huge cliffhanger for one of those seasons. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, that would be pretty exciting, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> could you imagine all the new arrangements of dancing mad though? Like we have 17 million versions of one winged angel and we would get <laughs> so many for dancing mad from mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, that would be a lot of fun to see that done, but particularly I think live action animation would be cool, but like, I'd love to see them attempt that mm-hmm. in live action. I yeah. think it'd be really interesting. And yeah, uh, doing the suplex on the phantom train in live action, I think would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was for animation, but then you said that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, one of the highlights of that game, right? Like mm-hmm. when you realize that you can do a suplex on the train, yeah. so <laughs> You, you almost have to put that into any sort of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fun answer, just because it would have the best theme song of any sh- television show currently on right now, is Buck Bumble. So Buck Bumble is an N64 game where you play as a bee flying around. Uh, but what makes it truly amazing is the theme song that plays over the opening title screen, which is a rap uh, about Buck Bumble. And it's such a great song that you can't really believe that, like who created this song for this game? (laughs) (laughs) Like Buck Bumble, everything about it, you know, is sort of like a, a, a B tier game, right? Like B tier, <laughs> yeah. Starring <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> um, this predates B movie, um, but you know it is. Uh, Buck Bumble walked so B movie could run. 
<laughs> well, B-movie didn't run that well. <laughs> Should have walked harder. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, you know, it's this great sort of – it's this great song, and it's so goofy, and, like, I feel like it's become a, a minor meme and everything over the years, but, like, it legitimately is a good song. It legitimately is fun to listen to and everything – um, and so maybe I can, maybe in editing, I'll throw that song in for a little <laughs> bit just so that people can hear it. Uh, but yeah, make a TV show of that just so that you can use that theme song. And I'm sure you could get Jerry Seinfeld. What else is he doing right now? He could probably come do a voice for Buck Bumble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could even like, it, it's like that movie B movies become probably more popular because of the internet because of memes mm-hmm. and stuff. So you probably could actually turn over maybe a decent buck by just doing Buck Bumble, but doing it as like a sequel to B movie with that character. <laughs> like he just he, he now goes by Buck Bumble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it could be about like Chris Rock has a character in Buck and B movie, right? Like so. Maybe he, yeah, he like a mosquito or something. Yeah. So like you could bring Chris Rock back and everything. Like, you have an all-star cast there. Or you could do a you could pull a Goblin two and be like, this is totally a sequel. It has nothing to do with the original, but it's totally a sequel. We're just slapping a two on the end. B movie two, Buck Bumble. Yeah, I always like those movies where you can tell they just went out and bought the rights to some random movie, and then they were like, "We're just going to slap a new name on it." And it's suddenly a sequel to this other movie. Um, you know, that's Die Hard three was uh, a script that somebody had just written, and then they were like, "We'll, we'll just put John McClane in here." And now it's Die Hard three. So. Um, yeah, so those are our ideas. Um, you know, I, I think we all agree that the dark, gritty origin story of Waluigi is probably <laughs> uh, the one that we all most desperately want to see mm-hmm. now. Uh, uh, we need to make this happen. Yeah, particularly with that casting, right? Like, that's some fantastic <laughs> casting over that. Um, and, and Andy Circus can be Donkey Kong because he's played like apes before. He played King Kong in the Peter Jackson movie. He did the motion capture. <laughs> and he played Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies. So, Ryan, yeah. please start this Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure he'd be up to it. I'm sure, like, at this point in his career, he just says, Yeah, I can play any ape. <laughs> um, Damn this typecasting. I never expected it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, dirty typecasters. He <laughs> <laughs> made a Donkey Kong movie. <laughs> yeah, this is so much better casting than uh, the Nintendo actually did. Like, mm-hmm. They should hire us. Or really, they should hire Ryan. He gets all the credit. Right. Like, <laughs> this is so much better than um, um, Chris Pratt. Like, who mm-hmm. wants to hear Chris Pratt in the movie? No, this is much more fun. <laughs> Brian Cranston as Mario. <laughs> you know, and he's just doing the whole uh, Breaking Bad shtick, right? So that's how he plays Mario, the same way he plays Walter White. <laughs> Hans Zimmer does, like, the musical score. <laughs> I'm just picturing the opening credits for this movie now, and just, like, the names just slowly coming on. Like, Brian Cranston is... Mario! <laughs> yeah, Just imagine him dressed up as Mario doing a jump punch like, <laughs> in the, and like hitting Bowser in the jaw. And then he's like putting a Goomba in a plastic tub with acid. <laughs> 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 
Or he does it to Toad's like, is she in another castle again, Toad? Is she? Is well, she? Toad's the one that bought the wrong kind of like bucket. So it was actually <laughs> Toad is played by uh Aaron Jess- Paul. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron Paul, Paul yeah. Jesse Sanker. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. He he would be a pretty good toad, I, I feel like. I, I'm pretty sure he would be. Perfect. Now we just need to catch pe- cast Peach and Daisy. Yeah. I, I that should know. be our big question for next time. Who's <laughs> <laughs> the perfect casting for Peach and Daisy? Uh, um, Peach, I think, should be D from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia as mm. D. I don't, I don't know if, if you've all seen that, but it's a horrible character. <laughs> I mean, a good character, but she's horrible. I think that would be a good Peach. Yeah, I feel like you kind of have to go over the top with the casting of those two characters, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. You kind of have to break traditional gender roles of the princess. <laughs> and <everything. laughs> like, Jinx Monsoon is Daisy. <laughs> like, there was a second I thought you were just going to say Jinx, and I was like, OJ, I love it. The, the Pokemon <laughs> Jinx. Well, I love Jinx Monsoon because of Jinx. <laughs> all right well we're going to wrap it up there um we will uh, be back next week with another episode and sometime this week we'll have that episode up uh from the women's conference so if you want to hear a bit of talk about women and video games and representation um, and being a good ally to female players you can uh, check that out as well Until then, I want to thank OJ, Ryan, and Alicia for joining me. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll be back next week. Bye.